Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. From Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of educational reading in the classroom. Each episode features one book or article, my reflections and the thoughts of my guests on its use and impact in the classroom. Some episodes may also feature an introduction from the author. Hi and welcome to Series 2, Episode 11 of From Page to Practice. Before we get going with today's great book, I'd just like to draw your attention to the schedule for the rest of the year. Coming up in April and May, we have Alex Quigley's Closing the Reading Gap, Cat Howard and Claire Hill's Symbiosis, Teaching Rebooted by John Tate, and Diversity in Schools by Benny Cara. There are four more books in June and July, which are Jennifer Webb's Teach Like a Writer, Fear is the Mind Killer by Dr James Mannion and Kate McAllister, Being 10% Braver by Women Ed, and the Early Career Framework Handbook from the Chartered College of Teaching. If you've read any of these, please do get in touch to join in. So today we are looking at Talking About Oracy by Sarah Davies. So let's start with a conversation between Sarah and Anne-Louise Jordan about Oracy. Hi, my name's Sarah Davies and I'm here today to talk to you all about Oracy with our beautiful Anne-Louise Jordan. Hi, and I'm Anne-Louise Jordan and talking about Oracy with Sarah Davies. (laughs) (laughs) Right, well, (laughs) I know it's a good start, Sarah. Um, Right. I wanted just to sort of say very briefly to to people that are listening that you can find Sarah on Twitter. Um, She's a wonderful friend to have on there. And that's how I met her and found her book as well through through Twitter. And Sarah was wonderful enough to come along to our new to SLT chat to talk about oracy and communication, which... um, has been so wonderful to have her on board and our weekly chats have been amazing as well. So that's how I came across Sarah and and her book. So Sarah, how did you tell us more about the the book and the idea? Where did it all come from? Yeah, of course. I mean, and first of all, like being able to find support networks like the new to SLT chat, it, it was really, really helpful, particularly at the start, just to gain ideas and and find some some platforms in which to to really get speaking and and to get talking about these points and obviously begin to bounce across ideas and suggestions. Now, talking about oracy is something that that was really, really important to me from the start, and I think the 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 time where it was kind of like that crux moment where you decide that something's got to change and something's got to happen was when I returned back from um, maternity leave. And when I came back from maternity leave, I inherited a year 11 class and it just, it slowly dawned on me that, you know, these were our young adults, our future generation, but they hadn't experienced perhaps the same kind of, um, strategies in life that would be desired for our young people so you know it was things like college interviews and preparation for what's to come and I I suppose it really got me thinking and reflecting and particularly from a core subject point of view it got me thinking about the significance of assessments but understanding the fact that they're they're merely a stop on the journey and that we need to start preparing um 
you know, the future generations for life after academia. And okay, can they survive in day to day life? And can they get by in a job interview? And, you know, can they have that that conversation and the, that communication with people that actually is what will make their life worthwhile once they've left school? And it was really, really interesting just developing this overall idea. And building on the research that I was able to do and and the mass amount of, of contributors that were, were really offering to open up the scope of the extent of oracy. It really honed in on this idea that actually it's something that we need to embrace in primary school, in, in secondary school, and all the way on to college and beyond, you know, even in leadership to make sure that we're all clear and understanding as to not only what oracy is, but actually its impact on our day-to-day lives. And I know that, Annalise, you came from a primary, um, you know, background, and I'd be really interested to find out how you incorporate oracy in the curriculum. Yeah, I mean, I have most of my experience in Upper Key Stage 2, but recently been in an infant school, um, Odyssey um, in a Spanish setting where many of them don't speak English it's a real challenge but it's something that we've we have to think about from day one and you know reading this book and nodding my head and going oh great right okay I'm on the right track because there's lots of hints and tips in here that you can use especially in the primary school so things about having a a school council pupil voice these are all really really simple ideas in in a primary school but that you that you can use, but if I'm talking about the really young ones who are 18 months old, we have to think about language and how they communicate with their language. And if they don't have that language, how are we allowing them the space to communicate? And the one thing that we do use is Makaton. So we have two members of three members of staff who are trained in Makaton and they have trained us. So what this allows us to do is to continue that communication tool with the, with children who are only 18 months, 20 months, who are coming into our, our school with no English and no Spanish. You know, you have to give them that space to communicate how they're feeling. If it's just simply, you know, toilet or more please or thank you or hungry, um, these are really, really basic things that we have to give them that that space to communicate so that's one thing that that is all the way through the school is using Makaton signs and because we've got children that come in year one and year two and they don't have any English or Spanish so they do have to have that and you know that embedded structure of it's okay you can you can still communicate and communication through pictures as well it's really really important so what um what it's it's for me in primary it's more about how they communicate and the way the medium that they use to communicate because I know for you in secondary it is all about the 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 odyssey and and how they talk and how they articulate and how they um speak but when you're really got really young children it it has to you have to allow for so many other ways would you would you agree with that no, that's it's precisely the case. And I think what's so important about that as well is just the means and methods of communication is is definitely something that we need to explicitly be teaching. And, and this is one of the things that I talk about quite a lot is the fact that we need to have explicit teaching of oracy skills. Mm-hmm. 
all of our like you know in all of our settings from primary uh, you know from nursery to primary to secondary to college and and even beyond because even as leaders we need to be able to have an explicit understanding and awareness of just what oracy is and it isn't just about being able to speak it's about the speaking it's about the listening it's about the body language it's yeah. you know the cognitive side of it as well and the social emotional side and you know going to what you were saying before about this the concepts of teaching the marathon and teaching the ways that they're able to articulate themselves obviously that was that's where we get a lot of the issues and a lot of the breakdowns with communication as well and I mean I, what, what's quite interesting about it all is obviously you know I come from a secondary perspective but um with the 10 you know I've got a 10 year old and I've got a two-year-old and both of which one's currently in the stage where they're experiencing that difficulty to communicate and more yeah. often and then you've got all the behaviour issues that come with that. And that's what we see quite a lot of, especially in primary schools. And and I know that you talk a lot about this in the book as well, which was fantastic. And I absolutely loved it because um, behaviour is key to learning. You know, you, you get the culture right of your classroom. And this is not about being, um, you know, that telling them what to do and they've got to sit down and they've got to listen it's not because you talk a lot about how having that culture and respect to listen which was really interesting to give the space to listen to others you know having this no hands up and um, allowing space to talk and not interrupting them I just feel like that is so important and how do you stop young children from interrupting one another is again you know that could be a, a million dollar question because they you know so how do you do it do you do you have an answer to that or is that something that well, I wish I could um I, I definitely wish that I had an answer to it but I think a lot of it just just with every kind of technique and strategy it's all about embedding routines and mm. embedding that consistency in there and I mean I know that um one of the things that I reference brief, briefly in the book um is the the focus on on slant and this this idea and concept mm-hmm. and I know that that's obviously had some controversy around it before about being very almost like a dictatorial yeah. um, style of, of of representation and it, it's just it's one of those moments where I can just reiterate that actually it's it's one strategy that can be used and incorporated and embedded alongside a variety of different ones so there will be settings where actually going that explicit and that detailed with it is perhaps the one way to kind of like identify what key areas are but even then you're not guaranteeing the same skills I mean one of the biggest things that I take away from it all is um I'll always I always remember a, a bit of reflection moment where I had where I was like, well, I mean, are we effective communicators or are we actually planning what we're going to say next instead of listening? And in those mm-hmm. circumstances, when we're planning what we're going to say next, no, we're not effective, like, you know, communicators. And I think a lot of what we need to avoid and what we need to avoid as practitioners is this breakdown in communication. 
And I know that I talk about it in the book about all of the different potential breakdowns in communication and it, it just quite a few of them um, were ideas about like preparation. So making sure that you're prepared for these situations. And it's not a case of planning, have uh, like, you know, having plans A, B, C, D and E in front of you, but it's about knowing your cohort and knowing yeah. who you're talking to. And whether you are sitting in front of a class or whether you are sitting in front of colleagues, it's the same kind of concept understanding your audience is going to drive the way that you communicate with them yeah it's going to have that that real big focus point for it and then you know on top of that you're able to read the signals well I was just going to say yeah if you're sitting in front of your class and you know them then you'll read all those signals that they are communicating with you whether it's, you know, they're staring at you because they really need to, well, in my case, it's usually to go to the toilet. It's like, you know, they're staring at you to go to the toilet. It's like, I'm going to go to the toilet and you've told me not to put my you hand up. Like um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know the look on their face. I mean, and with my little babies, you know, they're 20 months old, you, the look on their face of, I'm doing a poo. They're communicating to you because I, I know their face. I know as like, oh, 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 she's busy. <laughs> she's busy over there. You know, they're hiding in the corner. But also the more serious cases as well, where you know the the youngest children don't have that vocabulary to to let you know how they're feeling or what's going on at home. You have to look all those other cues that they're telling you. And um, and I do think language is really important with that as well. Well, working, working working in a school in Spain yeah. well one I speak Spanish so you know if they needed to communicate with me in Spanish then they can but if if they don't speak Spanish and they don't speak English then we they have to be able to communicate in a form that I can understand and that comes with developing really strong relationships with the children and um, they wouldn't start speaking Spanish and English straight away it takes months and months of them learning the language so giving them that opportunity to to communicate in their home language and getting parents involved but if we're talking about safeguarding then it's a whole different territory and that's what scares me is that when we've got children who are not communicating effectively then we're missing so many cases of of safeguarding concerns well-being social and emotional health it's it's that that scares me and that's why I, I take so much of my time and effort to to get to know my children inside and out you know that's that's crucial and I think it's it's the exact same for you know, when, when we're delivering it to teenagers, when we're delivering it to, to adults or whether we're delivering it to children, it's it's so important to be able to read between the lines. And it's only really when you've got an embedded understanding of your own communication skills that you're actually able to to witness or to read that effectively in other people as well. So it's, you know, one of the prime examples that I always give is the concept of I'm fine. Well, I'm fine can be used. A lot of it is based on contextualization and a lot of it you've got to be able to read between the lines. And I think it's about understanding, you know, that's okay. It's it's okay mm-hmm. to to have to dig a little further. It's okay to, you know, have to explicitly teach, you know, things like yep. mood boards and things with yep. with 
with students to be able to go okay there are different types of happy that you can be feeling there are different yeah. types of angry or there are different types of sad and, and it's translating has- that for them you know yeah. so that you know it's if they're coming in and they want to that's it the world is over they they don't want to be here in this class and it's like the you know it's like the worst day of their absolute lives it's been able to translate that for them and say let's have a look let's strip it back you're feeling tired you haven't had much sleep last night your mum sent me an email this morning say that you hadn't had any sleep so come on let's let's look at it from that point of view go and take a break have a walk or whatever you know it's that that involving the 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 parents as well and having that communication from them so that you can translate properly how they're feeling and you've got to be able to like you know and it it goes back to knowing your audience as well Mm -hmm. and it goes back to knowing you know how you're going to to present that to parents and we talk about how you know you talk to maybe colleagues or or adults about certain situations and it's it's a big struggle and it's it is an uphill struggle and once you begin to embed these skills and once schools begin to become you know explicitly aware of the significance of oracy skills in the curriculum oracy skills you know to develop individual cohorts and and and, and students and and to make them like you know embrace this concept of a well-rounded individual so mm-hmm. to speak. yeah once once we begin to see that actually oracy is a driving force towards that it allows us you know it opens up these doors to being able to express these emotions or to be able to to communicate or to articulate these emotions well and what you find is that it's almost like you know it's the domino effect then because as soon as they're able to do that they're actually able to access more of the curriculum and the learning yeah. because they're not having to think about these things in the background yep. but also being given the opportunity to speak and to articulate mm-hmm. them. you know it really it allows them to to consider, you know, their cognitive skills, that to consider the way that they're presenting something, as opposed to everything just being, all right, okay, you're going to be taught it, and now we're going to write move, it. Yeah, we're going to revise it, you're going to do a test on it, and we're going to move on. And that can't be up to the the secondary English teachers either. It, it can't. No. We cannot be sending our children from primary into secondary not having those basic skills of, of Odyssey, of, as you said, of articulation. You know, but we we in primary have to really lay those 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 um those bricks. We we have to be the one that start that process so oh, that yeah. by the time they get to you guys up in secondary, then they can focus on deeper meaning and less on what, what is it you were you were doing two two days a week on on grammar yeah well that's it isn't it and I think it's all about the case of like you know primary school needs to lay the bricks and secondary mm-hmm. school needs to put the cement in yeah you know I mean, that's that is what that's we it. need to be able that's to it do. but there's too much of a divide I feel like that's even it. even that's even it. just looking at the case studies in the book the the case studies for secondary were just way off for me you know I just thought that that for me is is a different world you know, we need to we need to we need to close that gap between primary and secondary, especially oh, in, in terms of this. And um, you know, I think it could be it could be said for everything, really. But well, this um, is one of the main ways to do it, really. I mean, oracy is going to be one of the main ways that we can bridge that gap because mm-hmm. you know nobody wants to invent another assessment that's going to be no. done. 
this to, to evidence how transition is made. But it's like we said, like, you know, students should be able to come into secondary school being able to articulate that. And then students should be able to leave secondary school with life skills that they're able to articulate as well. They That's should it. be able to know how to respond in an interview or how to discuss things with different yep. audiences, how to adapt their tone, their register, understanding as well. And I feel like this would be a big one for all relationships and all people. And even we need to reflect on this sometimes, but understanding how breakdowns in communication happen in day-to-day mm-hmm. life so things like you know a misunderstanding of the tone a misunderstanding oh of god the yeah totally. yeah <laughs> and even in leadership that that is I mean exactly. that that's another conversation in fact that's another book on tone <laughs> in leadership because you know it can get you into a lot of trouble it really can and um me with my Scottish tone it's it's not easy but again another book another conversation um what with your book then if you were to have you were sitting down reading your writing your book what was the main thing that you wanted people to take away from it after reading it I think the biggest thing for me is that communication is is key is that we need to embrace the support that we can provide our students, our colleagues, our friends, our relationships, we need to embrace the fact that that isn't done on paper. Mm-hmm. That is done through the way that we communicate with each other and how we interact with each other yeah. and how we're able to, to move from you know one transition stage to another transition stage with the skills that we can take with us for life and that's a big one you know you hear about students every day that are like oh well why am I doing this or well, why am I using that and it's about understanding well actually I'm using these skills you know to talk to my peers I'm using yeah. these skills to talk to my you know my my future children my yeah, my, my parents and my parents yeah. mm-hmm. you know, my boss my colleague I know mm-hmm um, what would you say, you know, was one of the key takeaways that you you found from it? Well, from reading it, it was more that what I got from it was allowing that space to communicate. And um, I thought I was doing a good job, but I think after reading it, I could do much, much more. You know, um, I'm good at reading the visual cues, but am I giving children the time to talk? And laying those skills at such a, a young age I think is something that will I will continue to do and making sure just after speaking to you tonight um there's a lot more that primary can do and me personally I can only speak for myself but there's a lot more we can do about laying those really strong foundations of articulation of communication so there's definitely a lot of learning happened and as a leader as well I mean just the very fact that after that chat on UTSLT chat that you came on and since then communication comes up as an answer to most questions most failings in leadership is down to a lack of communication we've got tone in there we've got you know word usage (laughs) in there we've got accents in there we've got it all so yeah um but I think that's our time up, Sarah. And I just want to thank you for, for writing it and for connecting with me on Twitter and long may this continue. Thank Absolutely. you very much. Thank you. I'll see you later. Bye. Thank you.
Okay, bye. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thanks so much for that, Sarah and Anne-Louise. What I really like a lot about covering this book today is how widely applicable it is to teachers working in different age ranges and contexts. The first reader we're going to hear from today is Charlie. Hi, I'm Charlie Guy. I'm a human anatomist and social historian, and my background is predominantly in the arts, specifically English and English literature. I can be found on Twitter at CG Anatomy. While I provide one-to-one tuition in English literature for students of high school age, I also have over a decade's worth of experience of working within the NHS, and my main focus now is on medical education, the crossover between the arts and sciences, and the inclusion of the humanities in a science-based curriculum at university level. One of the key messages in Sarah's book is that it's through the development of oracy that we can show our students that one of the fundamental skills to succeed in life is the ability to communicate in whatever form is necessary. The sciences, particularly medicine, often fail to fully address this. This therefore produces extremely knowledgeable and qualified practitioners who sadly fall short at the bar of communication when it comes to their patients. I'm a firm believer that if oracy skills were embedded earlier on, this would make the process of communication in a professional setting much easier for students to grasp. And when I was reading this book, I really felt a shared level of enthusiasm in this regard. It's probably quite helpful to give you some examples from my experiences of undertaking a science-based programme of study, because I do have quite a diverse academic background. I went into anatomy quite late in my academic journey and I've really found the differences between the arts and sciences astonishing, both in obvious ways like teaching method and evaluation, but also in terms of communication. For instance, throughout my previous degrees, there's been a high emphasis on subjective interpretation and particularly an English background does make you very adept in this. And that's because working with understanding and discussing the interpretation of texts can give you insight into the lives and experiences of other people in situations vastly different to your own. And this is a major contributor to the development of empathy. Also, the arts frequently take the sciences into account. My previous study, for example, has included both the history of medicine and the history of the cadaver. But this crossover isn't always very well reciprocated. And this is not only a massive shame, but also a real disservice to many students of medicine. For instance, a medical professional has to be able to interpret their patients on myriad levels. So what barriers to communication could there be here? Has this person taken in everything I've said? Am I being too simplistic or am I using too much jargon? There's a real oracy-shaped gap in many science-based curricula. And the reason for this gap can largely be down to time constraints. Students often have so much to learn with so many other commitments, it can be quite hard to find space for the humanities. But also, science generally works on hard evidence rather than subjective interpretation. If we use anatomy as an example of this, a structure in the human body has a name and a place and a function. We don't need to look for symbols or hidden meaning because it just is what it is. A heart is a heart and a kidney is a kidney and so on. Or at least so it first appears. There's actually a treasure trove of hidden meaning within many anatomical terms that can supply a wealth of background information which can directly contribute to anatomical retention and understanding if only it were taught in a science-based curriculum. 
if it were taught, not only would students be provided with fresh methods of recall, but they'd also have their horizons broadened. It would give them experience of interpretation of material and as a result, make, make them much more proficient communicators in the long run. As Sarah's work highlights, it's through communication that we can encourage not only the progression of others, but also our own development in whatever form this might take. And this book really is so important as it highlights that skills of oracy should be promoted throughout education in whatever subject and that without oracy skills, students are left lacking fundamental life skills. What is the point in knowing all the answers if you can't express them? Our education system should be creating individuals who can communicate confidently to a range of audiences in a variety of situations. And what I found from reading this book is that Sarah really highlights the importance of oracy in a range of contexts, particularly the chapter which discusses fundamental teaching strategies, which really helps to highlight and explore strategies which can support the provisional embedding of oracy in the classroom, which is an environment where students feel comfortable exhibiting their opinions and contributing to discussions, and as a result, this produces far more confident individuals who are better prepared for a life beyond education. I highly recommend this text to anyone involved in education, but particularly where communication takes a primary role in future career options, particularly science-based options such as medicine. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. Thank you, Charlie. Your contribution really does back up what I said about how applicable the book is to a wide range of ages and contexts. It was really interesting to hear from you. Next, we're going to hear from two people who have fast become an almost permanent feature on From Page to Practice. It's Dave and Rhiannon. Hi there, I'm Dave Tushingham and I'm a lead practitioner in a school in Bristol. Hi, my name's Rhiannon Rainbow and I'm School Improvement Lead Maths for the Greenshaw Learning Trust. And today we're going to talk a little bit about um, talking about oracy, developing communication beyond the classroom by Sarah Davis. And um, first of all, just to say what a wonderful book. It really got me thinking about so many aspects of, of my teaching um, and, and how, I, how I come across in the classroom. And one particular part of the book that was really interesting for me was the, the idea of looking at um, your sort of self-awareness versus your self-deprecation and, and the way you talk. Um, in front of an audience and, and just knowing what that audience looks like. Um, so, so it really made me think about some of the deliveries, um, like this podcast, for example, but um, some of the deliveries that I would give in some, some training sessions or workshops or maybe our book club. And, uh, and knowing, knowing that audience and therefore how you use your language, so how formal your language might be, um, how, how you communicate uh, with, the, with the audience, with tone, with, uh, with that positivity or, or, or how factual you might be with, with what you say. Um, and, uh, and so thinking about that audience really made me think about the delivery, uh, sorry, the delivery and how consistent I am with it at the moment. And so I don't necessarily always think about who I'm talking to. I have a particular way that I deliver. Um, and, um, and in our book club, we have very active learners. Um, so Sarah talks about the different types of learners you might come across. And, and we, we don't have very many of those reluctant learners. Um, we have very few potential learners as well, the sort of learners that would um, be sort of interested, but, but maybe would uh, challenge a few of those ideas. And, and so we have a lot, of, um, a lot of active learners that we talk to. And so how, how I come across to those learners and, and the language I use in terms of trying to, to encourage people um, to, to join in the conversation and join in that chat and, and to learn and grow 
um, is going to be very different to, to some of the conversations I might have within my school when I'm uh, maybe working with um, different different types of learners. So, so what I, I thought about uh, when I was thinking about my delivery with the uh, with the active learners was was how how I can be maybe um, slightly too self-deprecating. I can talk about um, some of my faults and, and try and encourage people in, but that can become or, or look maybe condescending, and, and that's a real concern that. I would talk about um, often, I know with Uri, about how, how that comes across to the audience. And, and that's one thing that I've, I've considered is about keeping the validity of what I say whilst trying to encourage people to, to get involved. And I wonder if part of the nature of our book club and the availability of the sessions means that actually it enables it to be self-selecting. The active learners who are, who are available will be there yeah they're going to be at the session the potentially the the ones who are uh, uh, going to find it more difficult to engage in the same way or not quite sure of how to do it can watch the recordings afterwards it doesn't mean that they're not interested it just means that that's maybe how sort of benny cara talked about that safe space it's a safer space for them to be able to engage and i think one of the one of the ways that we've tried to do it is um, I find I can find it more difficult sometimes and I'm more comfortable being in a chat talking about things and articulating myself there. So hopefully we're able to engage those who are happy to put their hand up and and have that sort of specific voice to ask their own questions and have that discussion, but also give a voice to those who are um, raising their comments, suggestions and questions in the chat as well. And I think one of the nice things that's starting to happen now, like when we're doing that in a classroom, is that enabling those people who are comfortable being in the chat, like me, to then introduce them to the room as well and create that environment, that safe space, so that they can share their ideas that they've already articulated in the chat within the room and let us have that privilege of hearing their voice. So I think there's a there's a, a lot to think about with this, how we are with our own classrooms, how we are with, with colleagues and peers. And one of the other things that I thought about with this is I suppose it's my it's my slightly different background and introduction to, to teaching is I started off being um, a primary special, primary maths early years specialist in my training. That's what I did for four years at university. That was my degree. So I spent quite a lot of time learning how to bring a story to life, how to read a big book, how to do guided reading, how to use my voice to help convey a message or bring interest to a story. And that's had so many transferable um, skills from it in reading to my own children and and trying to help um, enable them to have a love of learning and for us to discuss at home. But this made me think a lot actually about our tutor reading program as well. In As professionals, reading a book that maybe we haven't read ourselves and quite often if I'm reading stories like that, I'm internalizing my reading. I'm, I'm doing it silently. It's in my own head. I'm reading from a Kindle. I'm not always reading those out loud because they're not children's stories or fairy tales that we that I'm used to doing as parents or in a primary classroom. 
And so the Tutor Time Reading Programme is another opportunity to develop oracy and, and consider how we can engage the active and the central and the reluctant people within or students within our classrooms. And for me, one of the challenges is when I'm moving around and I'm going from room to room, and it, at the moment it would be with my own copy during the Tutor Time Reading Programme, and where I take over the baton for the teacher who's reading at the front of the room and I start reading that book. And it can be a book I've never read before. It can be a book and I have no idea where in the story I'm coming in at. But my challenge is how I can do my best for all of those listeners in the room and then how I manage and overcome if there's a word I'm unsure of how to pronounce or something else in there and try and make sure that I don't lose the flow of what's going on and I think that so reading this also made me think about that really integral part of what we do in our schools. I think I, I can't agree more with that really it's just um this really made me think of so many different aspects of the delivery um that, that you give there and so I was connecting that back to um the the bit that I particularly took away with um was the the sort of different audiences and how you might um, talk with them differently. And so when you're delivering in that tutor time reading program, whether there's um, a, a way of delivering that message of not understanding the words, just slight subtleties in the tone, but um, whether there is or whether there isn't, where you need that consistency and where you need to um, to really know your audience in slightly different ways, it's just really helped me to think on a deeper level and just be more aware, I think, um, of how I sound to the people I'm talking to. Um, but yeah, and I really enjoyed that book. And, uh, and yeah, just uh, thanks so much for, uh, for allowing us to sort of take the time to share our thoughts. Yeah, and just in the, so many different directions and, and different ways that it can apply to so many different things. So it's, it's prompted lots of discussion and reflection for, for us both already, hasn't it, Dave? So thank you so much for that. It has. Thank you so much. And, uh, and yeah, it's just been an absolute pleasure to read and uh, highly recommend it. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. I really appreciate Dave and Rhiannon continuing to take part in the podcast. I know they see it as a great opportunity to chat and come on the podcast as a bonus, but it really helps us. Finally today, we have a contribution from Rob. Hi, my name is Rob and I'm an A-level chemistry teacher in a sixth form college Today, I'd like to talk about the book titled Talking About Oracy by Sarah Davies. In a key stage five chemistry classroom, oracy is all about accurate use of scientific vocabulary associated to an experiment or a procedure that's happening in a reaction. Students very, very often have to encounter new scientific terms to describe processes that they've never seen before or to make a process they've seen historically have a new meaning, make it more efficient. It allows them to explore the depth at which they can communicate what is taking place. It's really important for a student to develop their use of scientific vocabulary in a classroom. And oracy underpins all of that. Whether they can hold a detailed conversation with their teacher or with their peers is going to make the difference between them making that rapid progress and them not. Working in an A-level environment as well, we have that constant reminder that eventually there's going to be an examination associated to the theory. And the more confidence and the more opportunities you give a student to commit to an answer verbally, to work through the meaning of terms as they talk it out, 
then the more efficient their final pen and paper answer is going to be. So it really does work in your favor and theirs long term to make sure that they are exploring the language and covering these terms as a part of their everyday discussions. The stress levels that they're going to experience later down the line are going to be significantly reduced if they've got that experience of the terms they're meant to be using. It also develops their resilience and their confidence when it comes to reading around the subject and exploring a deeper level scientific understanding, so exploring that more rigorous content. They sometimes do this kind of thing if they're preparing for a university interview, perhaps. And I mean, here, oracy really is absolutely crucial. If they've not developed those skills and that confidence with using uh, scientific vocabulary efficiently and knowing the terms that can sum up a process nice and quickly, but with that detail, then when it comes to a university level interview, that can be very, very challenging for students. Their personal statement, their exams, they've had time to revise and prepare and consider what they want to say for those very often. But when it comes to that five-minute interview with someone else who's into the same science that you are, a lot of pressure there lands on the student's ability to uh, verbalize and to have that confidence with um, the, the spoken word of their subject. In class, you can develop and concentrate on how important these terms are by having the term introduced. For example, disproportionation is a term that we use in chemistry to describe what happens when an element is both oxidized and reduced in a chemical reaction. It sums up a process nice and efficiently. We make it part of the everyday language and then we remove it. We say you can no longer use this term. Every time you want to describe that taking place, you've got to give the long-winded description for it now. And students very quickly realize that the word was the more efficient way and the better way of doing it. So then when we reintroduce the term, it means the student has developed the value of what it what that word means. And that's a really crucial part of introducing all the new concepts as well as linking it back to what they've done at GCSE, it's just as much showing them that the new angle that we're going with is going to lead them uh, to better outcomes in the long term. I think recently as well, this book talking about oracy is going to be really, really useful for teachers CPD because we've hit a little bit of a conversational drought in classrooms because of the remote teaching and learning. Try as we might, Remote teaching and learning is very teacher-led. It's very student responses via pen and paper. It's it's not the same. It's not had that same that same middle bit between delivering the theory, them exploring it, and then actually committing to sort of exam-style scenarios. We've not had that middle bit of them exploring the concepts in the same way. And I really felt this recently, and it was in the topic of electropotentials, with my second year A-level chemistry students, when I was delivering subject support, students were often just using me almost like a sounding wall to, to regurgitate the, the language they understood about something and about their perception of the topic, and then using me as a way of posing a challenge to say, and why do you think that, and why do you think this? It wasn't really because they had a misunderstanding, it's just they lacked that confidence in what they what they had grasped was the correct answer. And, and it really made me think they've missed out here on that classroom environment. The other problem we sometimes face is 
their peers, their, their friendship circle might not do the same subjects as them. So they don't have the same out of class support if they're not having those in class conversations. So they really are very, very important. Over the next 12 months, teachers are going to be really focusing on oracy in the classroom because we've got a bit of ground to catch up on. Um, I know that my second year is next year. I'm going to be going over old topics, but getting them to talk a bit more because we've had that missed opportunity. So books like this are going to be really crucial for teachers looking for practical suggestions and getting us to think a bit more about why we're asking those questions. What do we want as the outcome? I think it's going to be really crucial on people's reading lists. Outside of an A-level classroom, students as well struggle to find good examples of um, scientific oracy because there, there isn't really something in between A-level and university that appeals to the level of language and detail that they're looking for. There's a lot of uh, popular science books and we have good reading lists for those, but there is a little bit of a void there. And so uh, they really do rely on their teachers and the classroom environment to help develop their oracy skills. I think um, in terms of prepar uh, preparation towards university study and future employment, it's, it's really important for a student to be able to uh, work over the meaning of terms and to make sure that they are committing to the way something should be described because where, where else are they going to get this kind of reassurance from if not um, in the classroom via this kind of conversation? Oracy in the classroom for science is really important as well for trying to break the um, almost exam mark scheme obsessed side of um, some aspects of a student's learning process. They've, they've revised so hard for their GCSEs and use mark schemes so much to make progress that when they arrive at A-level, that, that's how they have learned most recently. And that's fair enough because they were preparing for exams, but you have to use conversation in the classroom and to get them to think about what alternatives way there are what alternative ways there are for describing something and what do we already know about this for example which isn't mark scheme driven so that kind of conversation in the classroom for teachers is really important to scaffold carefully to help develop that student's learning process and i think the book does an excellent job of getting people to think about um, the different questioning techniques that we can use to provide that scaffolding you're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thank you everyone for your contributions today and I hope it might encourage a few more of you to get out there and get hold of a copy of this book, Talking About Oracy by Sarah Davies. Coming up in two weeks' time is Alex Quigley's Closing the Reading Gap. I really need to hear from readers so please do get in touch with your views. I covered Closing the Vocabulary Gap, Alex's previous book, very early on in the podcast, so I'm looking forward to covering this one. It was something like episode 3 or 4 of the very first series. As per usual, I'd love to hear from you. The comments I get to read via reviews or via my Buy Me A Coffee link means so much to me and keep me motivated for making the podcast, so please do keep doing that. See you for Closing the Reading Gap in two weeks' time. Bye. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Alternatively, to suggest a book or article or volunteer to contribute to an episode, visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash podcast. 
Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons. <laughs>